The grass is always green around the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hour number two of Green and Growing starts now. I'm Ashley Frasca with you for another couple of hours. I'm glad to be here live on a Saturday morning. Uh, I will be here live with you almost every Saturday. There's five Saturdays in April, so this is a long month. Uh, The last one. I'm going to take off. I'm going to take off to Colorado, a place I've never been. I'm super excited. But that last Saturday of the month, you're like, Ashley, I can't even keep straight tomorrow, let alone um, 28 days from now. But that's going to be a really, really cool show because I'll be talking about uh, a recycling facility in Metro Atlanta that is doing some amazing things and takes the things that you wouldn't even imagine you could recycle, uh, the Dahlonega Butterfly Farm and flower arranging and how to make those stay fresh with all of the things that are going to be popping up and blooming and colorful in your uh, landscape by then, by the end of the month with my friend Julie. So uh, a lot of new material and new guests will be on the show. Um, I'm not going to say an old guest because he's not old, (laughs) but old as in he's been on the show before and even the Lawn and Garden show with Walter Reeves, Clint Waltz. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's always good to be back. And you you love coming in person. That's the thing. Because like sometimes we have to do this over the phone, but being in studio, you really get the whole feel for what's going on. I do. And it's, it's nice being here in the morning and getting up early in the morning. In turf, working with golf course superintendent, sports field managers, oh, yeah. it's, it's been part of my life for 30 years almost. So early in the morning is not a problem. There's a lot of us that are up early. I went to Quick Trip to grab some donuts for us this morning and a lot of hunters as well. Uh, the parking lot was full with pickup trucks and guys in camo. You know, they were on their way out hunting at uh, 4.30 this morning. Heading so. towards turkey this time of year? I don't know what you're hunting for this time of year. Do you? Deer, yeah, no deer idea. Deer season's out, so. There you, know, you go. Yeah. yeah. But but a lot more than normal. So starting off their spring break, right, for sure. Uh, so turf grass specialist, you're based at the University of Georgia Griffin campus. I've d- been down there to visit a couple of times. Um, and for anybody that wants to see one of those field trips, uh, I posted a video that Clint and I did together months ago, I guess probably mm-hmm. last spring. Uh, that's on the Facebook page previewing that, that Clint was going to be on the show. So I love having you as a resource because the questions that can trip me up nine times out of 10 are turf. Um, and, and I know a little more than I give myself credit for, but there's just so much to know, right? Whether yeah. you're getting inundated in the spring and summertime with disease problems, uh, bugs and insects that are getting to the lawn, just basic what lawn do I put where and in what conditions? I mean, so starting with that, let's start with the basic. We actually had a ZD call a little while ago from Douglasville and asking when's the best time to sod a yard and what type of sod. So that's kind of vague, but we do have a lot of new people down here, Clint, sure. from moving from all parts of the country. Um, so we've got our warm season and our cool season grasses. Talk about the difference in that. And that right there may help folks determine, okay, that's at least I know what type I need. Sure. Uh, and you know, I, I tell folks uh, when I do, especially master gardener classes, so we're teaching some of those people that, that are into gardening, um, and many times with the master gardener program, turf is not why they get into master gardener, but it's part of the overall mm-hmm. curriculum. And, and I said, let's give them a good appreciation of, of what grass is. But um, turf scientists, we're not real creative. <laughs> so uh, when I say that, that it means we take it simple. The, our grasses are split up between warm season species and cool season species. And it's it's actually a little more complicated than just when grasses are doing their active growth. Um, the two warm season grasses and cool season grasses handle photosynthesis and energy within photosynthesis a little different. So there are some physiological differences. Mm-hmm. 
But for the practical side of it, if grass is growing during the cool times of the year, fall, winter, and spring, it's a cool season species. Fescue stays green all year, almost, yeah. Fescue will stay green almost all year, Mm -hmm. but during the summertime when it's hot, its growth rate slows tremendously. And we see it open up and, and start to decline. It never loses green color. But then our warm season grasses, their active growth is during warm times of the year. So they're starting to come out of dormancy now as as soil temperatures and air temperatures are beginning to warm up. As we're getting more sunlight during the day, folks like to say, oh, we get longer days. Well, last time I checked, we get 24 hours in a day. (laughs) So the days aren't getting any longer, but we are getting more sunlight uh, on them. And uh, so as, as two environmental cues are starting to happen, our warm season species are starting to green up. And then they'll have their active growth during the warm times of the year. And when we start to, to cool down and, um, and we're getting less and less sunlight in the fall, that's when their growth rate slows. So warm season species, things like Bermuda grass, centipede grass, soysia grass, St. Augustine grass, um, or our warm season grasses, they're starting to green up and get going now. And our cool season species that we have in especially the Atlanta area, north tall fescue, for example, is our cool season species. And so I do, I see my neighbors very well manicured Bermuda lawn starting to green up. And so that's kind of exciting to see that happen. Um, and remind folks to those warm season grasses, whether it's St. Augustine or Centipede, uh, Zoysia, I guess, Zoysia too, grass, and yes. Bermuda, um, how much sun, I mean, that's that's going to answer the question for you right there. How much sun do you get if you've got a big tree canopy? That's really something you need sure. to think about before you try to lay down a warm season lawn. Well, another thing we talk about, many of our horticulturists know it very well, is, is right plant, right place. Mm-hmm. And not turf grass is a plant, too, and uh, different species have different requirements. And uh, so some species like zoysia grass and St. Augustine grass can take a little bit of a limited light or shade environments, whereas other species like Bermuda grass really prefer as much sunlight as they can get. Now, all of our warm season grasses do great in the sun. And and folks ask me, so, well, okay, you talk about it doing well in shade. How does it do in the sun? All of our warm season grasses Mm -hmm. prefer as much sun as they can get. Yeah. But uh, some can take limited light better than others. Uh, So many of our Bermuda grasses, they're, they're looking for eight hours or better. Of, that's of, a lot. That is. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, that's almost full sun. Um, now, we do have a couple cultivars of Bermuda grass that can take down to say maybe as low as five and a half to six hours. So something like Tiff Tough or Celebration Bermuda grass um, are, are examples of, of Bermuda grass cultivars that they can take a little bit of a limited light. Uh, but we get less than that. We really need to be thinking about something like St. Augustine grass or, or Zoysia grass. Okay. Now, we, uh, Walter and I heard from uh, a listener, Richard, not too long ago, just a week or two ago, saying that he's got a pretty healthy, vigorous zoysia lawn, never greens up until late spring. So hmm. in spite of watering and fertilizing, just never becomes that deep green. So do you think that's something he's doing wrong, or is it common for zoysia to be one of the later ones to green up? Um, there's tremendous genetic diversity within the zoysia grass species, and uh, it's we have about 16, 17 different cultivars commercially available being grown in the state of Georgia of zoysia grasses. But in general, zoysia grasses actually have better cold hardiness than many of our Bermudas. There are some exceptions. So depending on which cultivar he has, it may be a little slower to green up in the spring. There's a couple I can think of that, that do tend to green up behind some of the other zoysia grasses. And zenith is one of those that tends to be a little slower coming out of the gate Um in the um in the spring or at least that's been my observation and what i've seen with it compared to some others out there how important is it for your average homeowner like like myself or someone listening 
I mean, I, I at least want them to know and be able to identify the lawn that they have. But as far as the variety, is it really important for me when I'm buying any kind of product for the lawn to know what variety of Bermuda or what variety of zoysia I have or not so much? Um, it helps. Yeah. And, and there are some pesticides out there that when they've been tested, especially some of our herbicides, have been shown to be more injurious on certain cultivars within a species and cultivar remain main cultivar means cultivated variety. Mm -hmm. So it is a cultivated variety within a species. Um, And some cultivars have been shown to be more injurious within a species to a particular pesticide than others. So sometimes it does, and it's worth reading that label. It's always worth reading that label. Yeah, please, please. Worth reading that label and knowing which ones you have uh, on that. But uh, many times... Just knowing the species is is all you need. Okay. All right. So that's that's good enough, being able to identify what lawn you have. If you just moved into the house and you didn't get to ask the uh, prior homeowners, you know, hey, what is this? How do you maintain it? How do you care for it? Um, the University of Georgia Extension and Walter Reeves years ago put out the great calendars that are still mm-hmm. circulating. Those. Um, lawn care calendars. And the best way you can find those, it's a very simple one-page calendar for each of the grasses you just heard Clint talk about. Uh, go to WalterReeves.com. Eventually, I'll put them on my site, but WalterReeves.com and type lawn care calendar. And literally, it, it benefits you to print out this one-page, month-to-month, what to be doing with what grass type you have. Yeah, I've got the same calendar. Or it, it's not Walter's. It's it's mine through mm-hmm. UGA uh, on, on our website, Georgia Turf, as well. GeorgiaTurf.com. So, so I have that, that website pulled right up. Um, and spell out Georgia. It's G, uh, GeorgiaTurf.com. Is takes you to our UGA Turfgrass website. College of Agricultural and Environmental Sciences right there. Blogs, events, all kinds of things you need to know. Um, I was going to ask you, too. So green up is really an important time for these warm season grasses. Are they a little more, do they need to be a little more protected from maybe us doing herbicides or something like that? Do we need to be a little more careful when we're tackling weeds during this period? Those transition periods for our warm season grasses are when they're kind of most susceptible to to mismanagement or damage. So absolutely, um, many times this time of year is our warm season grasses are coming out of dormancy. Our, our cool season weed species, so things like annual bluegrass or poa annua or poa. Is Which is so folks. obvious right now yeah, in warm season it's, lawns. It's throwing seed heads and it's kind of mm-hmm. got that white look to it and that kind of thing. But likewise, many of our broadleaf weeds as well. So things like henbit and chickweed and Carolina geranium and um, hairy bittercress mm-hmm. and things like that that are out there in the lawns right now that are kind of starting to pop up. Many times a mower works very good this there time of go. year as, as as your as your weed control options. Many of those weeds want to grow up uh, a little bit taller and above the top of the lawn. So just putting some mowing stress on top of those weeds will stress them out. And as we start to warm up, uh, those weeds will kind of go ahead and die off on you um, on it. So not putting out a herbicide where we run the risk of, of doing some damage to the turf and setting it back during these transition periods can, can help you out another three or four weeks down the road. Mowing, that is something to, uh, you know, you're really getting busy right now. You've you've been mowing fescue a little bit, but now we're kind of at that period, vigorous growth every week, every other week. So my next question for you when we come back, Clint, will be 
to bag or not to bag leaf or uh, grass clippings and why in the world a uh, landscape crew was mowing Bermuda lawn by the tennis courts the other day when we were practicing blowing dirt and pollen everywhere. <laughs> I was miserable for the next 36 hours. So questions about that. And of course, your questions as well for Clint Waltz, Turfgrass Specialist, 404-872-0750. We'll be right back. Stay tuned to 95.5 WSB. All right, I want the conversation to completely turn to turf grass and lawns and weeds because my friend Clint Waltz is here and free information for you. Free resource until 9 o'clock, 404-872-0750. But Clint, you know what? If they don't call uh, you know, by 9 o'clock, there are free resources mm-hmm. and people that do exactly what you're here doing that can help people with their grass questions. How do they, how do, how do homeowners get involved in that? Uh, you get your county extension uh, agents right there in, in your county. And as long as you're paying your taxes, you have access to, <laughs> to that service. So uh, yeah, don't, don't forget your county extension service out there. Yeah. one And that's your link right back to the University of Georgia and, and all of our research mm-hmm. and all of our uh, expertise. 1-800-ASK-UGA-1, the number one. 1-800-ASK-UGA-1 if you don't know how to get in touch with your county extension agent. Really, all you need to know is the county you live in, and they'll handle it from there and get you in touch. Now, is is my one agent for my county going to be the one to call me back, or are the folks answering the phones, are they pretty knowledgeable about things? Some of them pretty knowledgeable. Um, some of our larger counties certainly have some program assistance, and they wind up employing the use. Uh, the, the master gardener program. So you may get somebody on a call center or something like that that's a master gardener and been through the master gardener program and fairly well adver- fairly well fairly well versed. Mm-hmm. Um, pollen's in the back of my throat, so it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, fairly well versed in in many lawn and garden type of, of of issues out there. Good. So that's a that's a good resource. And by the way, the weather update here brought to you by Finley Roofing. It's going to be a nice weekend. Highs around 70, partly cloudy, a little bit warmer on Monday before the rain comes in on Tuesday. Your complete forecast comes up in less than 10 minutes. So in the couple of minutes we have here, Clint, uh, you know, you're talking about mowing and being kind of routine and how you mow is going to combat a lot of the weeds. You'll get to them before the seed heads really start to pop and spread and do all the things you don't want them to do. Um, but the the age-old kind of thing, do I need to bag my grass or do I just let the clippings fall back in the lawn? Does it depend? What's your best answer for that? <laughs> um, well, first of all, I want to say this time of year, and I, and I didn't put this part, don't lower your mowing height. Um, so if you're going to mow and let the mower kind of be a, some of your weed control, mow at the same height your turf was going into dormancy. So there's no need in going in and, and mowing much lower mm-hmm. than, than where your turf was. And if that's the case, you shouldn't be generating a tremendous amount of biomass, True. depending on how many weeds you have in your yard. But typically we recommend not to bag clippings. It's better just uh, to let those clippings fall back in. Nitrogen, right? That's right. Um, so you, you go out and you buy it, and nitrogen is not ex- inexpensive right now. It's an expensive product. So uh, you, you buy those nutrients, you put them out, those nutrients are taken up by the root, they're assimilated into the plant, and then it grows and you mow it off, let it fall back in, let the soil microbes break that plant material back down, turn that nitrogen back into a usable form, and the plant can take it back up so you're recycling there. 
Um, the important thing is maintaining our one-third mowing rule. Mm-hmm. So try not to remove any more than one-third of the plant material in a single mowing uh, on it. So if we do that, we don't overwhelm the microbial system in the soil. They're able to break down those nutrients. We're able to recycle them. And um, we don't necessarily need to bag and, yeah. and send stuff off to Less work landfill. for all of you. That's good news. You don't have to make multiple trips emptying that bag. When we come back, I want to talk about one grass growing into another, how to stay ahead of that. The use of rye grass, I get really confused about that, and dethatching. Plus your calls, 404-872-0750 on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. 7.36, already halfway through the show. I came in really sleepy this morning, and it's just incredible to me what a coffee and a donut will do for you, but also just time flies when we're having a good time. A lot of your great calls about lawn, turf, 404-872-0750, and we will be talking to Ira and Jennifer and LeBay in just a moment. And also Vince has a question about Zoysia Clint. I'm taking full advantage of you. I should have asked, do you agree to this? Yes, absolutely. I have your permission. Okay. You do, absolutely. <laughs> so before we get to calls, um, I just teased ahead to ryegrass. And this has been on my radar to ask you for months because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of folks will use ryegrass in the wintertime because it stays green and it kind of holds the soil in place and all that kind of thing. Now, do they overwinter with rye where a warm season lawn currently exists? Is there a reason to do that? <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how I want to start with this. Uh, we, we have two grasses out there, two species. There's annual ryegrass and perennial ryegrass. And uh, they are two separate species. And for us here in the South, we don't let the word perennial confuse us. Uh, it sounds like it could. It doesn't perennialize. We, we do plant it in the fall of the year, let it come up, give us green color through the winter and spring. And then we want it and the annual ryegrass both to die off mid to late spring such that our warm season grasses that it's generally planted into um, will then kind of grow and thrive. And that process is called overseeding. Okay. So we overseed in the fall of the year, late summer, early fall. We let those grasses come up, give us uh, color through um, the fall of the year, uh, fall, winter, and spring of the year, and then we want our warm season grasses to, to live. And I would encourage our listeners today to take the advantage of our opportunity to, to watch a little bit of the ladies' uh, amateur, women's amateur in Augusta, mm. and you'll see Augusta National, and that's being played on overseeded perennial ryegrass. Wow. So um, with the exception of the putting greens, uh, what you're seeing there is is perennial ryegrass. Uh, on it and uh the advantage of trying to get rid of it getting rid of it in the in the spring of the year is such that we don't have that competition for water light space and nutrients uh at that time ryegrass is acting as a weed against our our warm season species bermuda grass and because of that competition overseeding is can be quite detrimental to our warm season grasses so the only one we even talk about overseeding really with is is into bermuda grass it can be harmful to zoysia. It can definitely be harmful to centipede. I'll never forget one situation where a centipede grass was lawn was was uh, overseeded with uh, ryegrass. It was in the Savannah area, 
I think the lady had two truckloads oh, of, uh, and uh, in the spring of the year, and and I was asked to come in and look because all her centipede grass was dead. And uh, she asked me, she said, what do I do now? I said, you buy two more truckloads of centipede. You you bought, you bought got what you paid for here, but the competition in the spring uh, was just so much that the centipede couldn't survive uh, on it. So that, that competition for light water space and nutrients in the spring can be quite a bit from the uh, from the ryegrass and make it difficult for warm season species to green up and grow. But are folks really just not okay with looking at a brown dormant lawn? Many I mean, aren't, but um, and where seed prices are because of issues, wildfire issues and supply chain and that kind of thing back in Oregon where all that seed is produced last year, seed prices spiked back in the, and they're still riding very high. So we don't see a lot of lawns being overseed, not as much as we used to. And many of our turf colorants or pigments um, are much better than they used to be. And uh, so in those situations where folks just really want to see green color, um, it's it's better to have it painted or dyed or colored um, uh, on it. Okay. And, and some of those can actually look pretty good on our warm season. So things like Bermuda grass and zoysia grass can actually look pretty good on. So the fact that rye is going to die off with the warmer temperatures, it's not meant to be a stable It's not lawn. a year-long species for us here in the state of Georgia. If we were in New Jersey or Illinois or something like that, then then perennial ryegrass will perennialize and it will persist throughout the year. But for us here in the state of Georgia, it really doesn't. Now, what if, um, I'm trying to remember back to a really good caller I had a couple of months ago, what if you're kind of in that transition phase of just, you know, bare dirt, but it's off season, so you're not able to lay sod at that time because it's not the right time of year would it behoove someone is is ryegrass a good go-to to keep the soil in place before you're able to move to your absolutely next no and i think i was listening that morning whenever and you, had you it, heard and, me and you heard panicking. it and I, and I think you hit it spot on um absolutely no soil stabilization that's one of those ecosystem services that okay. turf one of the good things that mm-hmm. turf does is um um is, is stabilize the soil so that deep extensive root system that turf has does provide a benefit and uh so Absolutely. In a situation like that, ryegrass germinates rapidly. So depending on soil temperatures, it can germinate anywhere from about three to seven, ten days. Wow, that is fast. Yeah, real fast. So get a quick root system in, stabilize the soil, prevent erosions, prevent soil loss, prevent it from getting into storm sewers and creeks and rivers and, and that type of thing. So those those services and benefits that, that turf provides, we can take advantage of. Any reason at all to intermingle fescue and rye? You would never really have that, for instance, would you? It most folks look for uniformity. That's that's a common thing for us in turf. It's a quality business, mm-hmm. and uniformity is generally a part of that. Um, so tall fescue and rye don't have necessarily the same color um, on it. But I have seen the two of them. You can intermix the two of them, knowing that the tall fescue's got more heat tolerance and will persist a little bit better year in and year out than the ryegrass will. So early on. You might mix the two of them at seeding mm-hmm. just to get that rapid germination. Tall fescue will be a, a little bit behind uh, the, the ryegrass typically, but not terribly far. Okay. So good. We're not far from uh, when you're not going to have to worry about your ryegrass, but that's interesting. So the ladies amateur, mm-hmm. you'll you'll be observing ryegrass. That's right. Nice. And same thing if you watch the Masters next week. It's on the same golf course, yep. but yeah, you're looking at uh, perennial ryegrass there. Well, so another spot uh, around Georgia that we may want to determine what grass we're looking at. Uh, LeBay from Morrow, are you there? Yes, I am. All right. Thanks for calling. You've got a good question about identifying a very particular uh, lawn in the metro Atlanta area. Yes, I was at the Capitol this past Monday, 
and that lawn is just gorgeous. It's so emerald green. I don't know what we would have to do to have in, in our lawns, but what do they do at the Capitol? I've, I've worked with those folks down there in the past, and, and that's tall fescue. And this is the time of year where tall fescue looks absolutely its best. It, it shines this time of year, and it's it's the, the time where folks go, oh, I really want tall fescue, just how pretty it is. That mm-hmm. emerald dark green, that lush look to it. Yeah. And tall fescue will look fantastic in March, April, early, mid-May, depending on the temperatures. And uh, around the Capitol is one where legislative session's in, so we want the legislators to see pretty green grass. And that site used to have a good good number of trees on it. They've limbed some of them up, and I think they've lost a few, so it's a little more sunlight than it used to. But under under that shady condition, that tall fescue was the right species or right plant for right place on it, and it's so persisted. That would be good, LeBay, to fall back on fescue if you do have a little bit of shade. It's more shade-tolerant. Um, but Clint, maybe just two or three tips for LeBay and for others, how to keep it that lush green. What do we do? <laughs> uh, proper mowing. Mm-hmm. So we need to be mowing it somewhere around about two and a half to three inches tall. Um, the other would be is proper fertilization. Is that uh, is two or three times a year enough on fescue? Shall we say four? Okay. So four, one pound, but two in the fall and two in the spring. Always an active growth. So keep That's that correct. in mind. There's no need in fertilizing fescue when it's kind of struggling in the summer. That's not going to help perk it up. It just is not going to do well in the heat. That's correct. It's okay. going to thin out. And it's it's a physiological defense mechanism that it starts to thin out and open up in the summertime. So it's trying to conserve resources. So that summer swoon that we see in July and August mm-hmm. um, is the plant just trying to make sure it gets from one stress event or one environmental stress event to the next. And once we get into mid-September, those nighttime temperatures fall. Um, we get less daylight, and as we move into mid to late September, early October, we move into environmental conditions. So that plant's just trying to survive through that stress period, and um, so it'll thin out, it'll open up, and then we get into to the fall of the year, and we get uh, what October, November, early December, and tall fescue can look pretty good again. Start looking good. So there you go. All right, next question is from Vince listening this morning. Checked in on the Green and Growing Facebook page. Brand new zoysia sod. How soon should he allow the yard service to apply a pre-emergent, and should he let them fertilize now? Are we a little late for a pre-emergent? We're probably not late for a pre-emergent. Um, if it hasn't rooted in, uh, I might would be a little hesitant because any of our pre-emergents are going to inhibit rooting, even from sod. That's that's their job is, is they will be taken up by the plant where that root comes in contact with it. So it could nub those roots off and delay um, tacking of, of that new sod. So if, if it's just recently been sodded and we don't have any root growth or very limited root growth, I think I'd hold off on the, the pre-emergence herbicide and let that grass get rooted in. And I think if you look at those labels, they'll say much. Okay. And then similar kind of thing when it comes to fertilization. Now is too early on our warm season grasses. Our soil temperatures at the four inch depth in Griffin are just barely 60 degrees. Mm-hmm. So we typically, we like to say we don't fertilize with nitrogen fertilizer on our warm season grasses until the soil temperatures at 65 degrees or at four inches soil temperatures at four inches are consistently 65 degrees and rising so we don't have root activity really going on right now to uptake those nutrients so if you go out and fertilize now we get rain on tuesday i think's the mm-hmm. forecast uh, that rain moves the nitrogen below the root system it can't be taken up it's not assimilated in the plant and that money you spent on the nitrogen you just kind of washed it literally down. washed it out so vince can certainly tell his yard service 
Hold off. Yeah, just go away. Leave just, me alone for a little bit. Yeah, give me about three or four back. weeks. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good news. I always like when we tell people you don't have to do much. That's yeah. a good answer. People yeah. people appreciate that. 404-872-0750. So Vince asking about a pre-emergence herbicide. That is what is going to tackle the weeds before they grow or they start to germinate. And then it's going to knock them back. It's not always 100%, but it at least gets you kind of in the right mode. So Jennifer in Cobb County has a great question about using a pre-emergence herbicide and then m- treating weeds that are already there in the lawn. Jennifer, welcome to Green and Growing. Hi, how are you? Great. So this is a very good question you have for Clint. Um, I want to know if I can go ahead and use a spray pre-emergent, post-emergent now. So you, I'm running out of time. So you have a product that's a spray? Yes. I, I'm going to put it in my hose, you know, hook it up to uh-huh. the hose. It's a hose-in product. Um, yeah. What What grass species do you have? Do you know, Jennifer? Right now it looks like blanket of weeds. <laughs> okay, um, and this is an established. I did have some Bermuda, but yeah, I can't some... find it now. Okay, uh, so it's underneath the weeds, um, and uh, so really, is is weed control where she wants to go right now? Or um, I, there... I think she'd be fine. Okay, uh, she should be fine with that right now. Just follow the label on it, um, and and Jennifer, let me give you one other little advice. Look at that that jug. And if it says it's good for 5,000 square foot, get a sense as to how big your yard is. And, and if your yard is only 2,000 square foot, don't empty the jug on your yard. Don't overdose it. So get an idea of what size your lawn is and make sure you kind of get a, a, how much of, of that product really needs to be applied evenly across your lawn uh, on it. Because if, if we have a post-emergence in that as well, we can, we can cause some damage there with overdosing, especially on... Uh, this time of year during the spring transition. So go on Google, drop a few pins, let it do the calculation, or just step it off out there and length times width and go with some area and make sure you know which size yard you have. I didn't realize, I mean, every pre-emergence herbicide I've ever applied was granular. So Mm -hmm. there is a spray. That one's a little, many of our pre-emergence can be a spray through spray. I haven't seen it on the homeowner side. Oh, okay. So I'm I'm with you on the homeowner side. Most of them are granular, but... um, um, almost all of those granular ones started off actually as a um, uh, can be mixed up and sprayed out. Okay, and then Jennifer referring to the post-emergent, that is the spray that most of you know if you get a bottle by BioAdvanced or Ortho or something like mm-hmm. that that is going to kill the weeds on contact, the weeds you already have. Correct. So Jennifer, thanks for the call. When we come back, Ira is going to be asking about uh, cutting Bermuda grass. And your calls, please, 404-872-0750. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. Welcome back to the show a few minutes before 8 o'clock, and we'll be talking to Ira in just a minute, and uh, I want to update you on the weather, and I have a friend, Clint's son, Will. Will, what do you have to say for us this morning? The weather the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Awesome. Yes, it is. Yes, it is, and here it is right now. Way to go, Will. Partly cloudy skies today and tomorrow, a high around 70 and uh, moving into a little bit warmer temperatures around 75 for Monday. So the complete forecast comes up in less than 10 minutes. 404-872-0750. So Ira in Conyers, good morning. Good morning. First, I must thank you so much for your 
I call it the university on the phone. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Fancy. Okay. Now, my question is, I have the Bermuda grass. And there was controversial um, with my neighbors and I because of the first number of inches that you should do for the very first cutting. The, so the first cutting of the season, right? Yes, before the pre-emergence, yes. Okay, so mm. we're wanting to know the best height to mow that to, Clint, and then every mowing thereafter, what's your advice for ERA? So our target mowing height for Bermuda grass on an average home lawn in the state of Georgia is inch, inch and a half. That's how much you, that's how tall you want it. That's how tall you want it. So um, depending on where they were on this beforehand, um, again, I wouldn't be mowing Bermuda grass down low at this point. And the pre-emergents are going to move their way into the soil ca- or turf canopy. So if you're not an inch and a half, don't drop it down there right now, but uh, try to work your way down the spring, early summer, down to about an inch, inch and a half is where we, we would like to maintain Bermuda grass in the, sta- uh, in the state of Georgia. That's easy enough. Yeah. I like that. So why would the landscapers, you have about 30 seconds to answer this, have been mowing the Bermuda that's not green at all near the tennis courts the other day? That was annoying. Um, some of it's starting to grow uh, green up and it, you know, it's summer, wintertime, it, my guess is they're just kind of cleaning it up a little tidying bit and up. tidying it up a little bit. And if, if it's knocking some of the weeds down and that type of thing. Woo. And there the pollen was. It went flying everywhere. Um, Walter Reeves shared with us an article about the pollen, how long it's going to hang around, how severe it is this year. Go to wsbradio.com slash green and growing to hear from our own Georgia Gardner, Walter Reeves, about the pollen. All right. 404-872-0750. We'll be back. It's Ashley Frasca with you on a Saturday morning.